this is Auteur Detour, wherein three film lovers travel through the filmographies of cinema's most important directors in hopes of finding a greater understanding on the other side. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Otor Detour. I'm Ian Hinckley, joined as always by Chris Balaza. Hello. Travis is here. Yep. Yep, and we are going to the Coen <laughs> Brothers movie still. Uh, sadly. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, anyway, I'll just get into it. Uh, we are up to The Lady Killers. So in 2004... A year after their commercial and artistic sellout, rom-com, Intolerable Cruelty, the Coens co-directed a remake of the classic 1955 Ealing Studios dark comedy, The Lady Killers. The Lady Killers tells the story of a group of criminals uh, renting a room from a little old lady under the guise that they are a practicing string ensemble, but using the space instead to plan and carry out a robbery. The plan goes off successfully until the little old lady discovers their crime and insists that they turn themselves in. Instead of doing that, they each take turns trying to kill her. But instead, in classic Looney Tunes format, they die off themselves until the only thing left in the house is the little old lady and the little. Now, I offered this plot <laughs> without any commentary, but uh, I will add, it's not just the worst Coen Brothers movie. It's also offensive and unfunny and uncool and tone deaf and missing any of the marks that made the original interesting. And uh, basically, I want to issue a formal apology to both of you for making me watch this movie <laughs> and anybody else who's listening. Oh, yeah, you. I mean, <laughs> that brings up an interesting point. It's, just, it's like, how does this movie fit into the Coen Brothers filmography? Like, is it necessary? Do we need to understand this film? To understand yeah. them as filmmakers, is it isn't like it could we have just like skipped it? Honestly, <laughs> I mean we almost could have. The only thing that I think is really interesting about it is that we talked a lot about in the early days of this podcast um, about the Coens sort of looking down on poor people and like really treating their like. Uh, you know, like poor people are like shit, like, like like treating them like they were, you know, dummies. And I've been listening back. We've been releasing these uh, now. We, we're a few episodes ahead. And like talking about that on Barton Fink or something where it's there, but it's pretty like, I don't know. It's, it's like a take that you can read into it. But when you get to this movie... Now you're like, this is why people have that argument against them. Because the way that they just, like, have no, like, I mean, they really do just treat these poor people like shit. Like, you know, I mean, they treat all the characters like shit in this movie. But, like, the way that, like, Tom Hanks' character at least gets this inner life in some way. And then, like, Lump can barely talk. Like, it's, like, so bad. Like, I don't know. Lump. Lump cracks me up because it's, like... In some way, this is I. So I kind of feel like it is an interesting movie to look at as far as their filmography because, like, um, they do things like Lump, where it's like let's take the sort of like stock, like yeah, Looney Tunes character of like the doofus, the town doofus, mm -hmm. and like inject it with like 
a little bit of realism in the sense that he appears to be mentally like uh, disabled and you just end up with the worst possible outcome. Like to me, it's like somebody said one time about, I can't remember what they were talking about, but it was like, you have to be kind of great to make a movie this bad. Like this movie has like a dark, like a darkness to it, and like just a bizarre sensibility that you don't just stumble upon. You know what I mean? It's like a weird blend of stuff. And we'll get into it, but but Chris, what was yeah. your take on the movie? Man, uh... <laughs> okay, so I see what they started with. They're like, all right, Tom Hanks. Everyone loves Tom Hanks. We're gonna put him as a southerly gentleman, and he speaks kind of fun, like you know in a strange way like hi from raising Arizona in a way and mm-hmm. everyone loves Tom Hanks and we'll get a bunch of different people together and it'll be great it'll be this crime caper that we love you know so much and it all wears so thin so fast uh I, I listening to Tom Hanks I'm like all right okay okay and then he just keeps keeps going same thing same thing it's <sighs> I was thinking of that high comparison also you know, in this movie and you know I thought of it last week too because the characters talk in a in intolerable cruelty in like a you know in a unnatural way I guess is the only way to, to say it it's just like that's not how people talk no and that you're surrounded by absolutely it. and I think the one thing and clearly the Coens go for a certain uh, a character can, maintains that character the whole film. So they're not always the most three-dimensional of characters, but this one takes that to a whole nother level where there's... I think of it like there's there's no code switching whatsoever, right? So it makes sense when Tom Hanks, you know, greets the little old lady at the front. He's trying to gain entrance. He wants to be, a, you know... Uh, amicable to her like let she wants he wants her to let him uh rent his room you know so it was all this right. stuff. but then they're meeting in the cellar talking about the plan and he's still got this bombastic strange way of just talking like just ask marlon wayans the easy question don't be like and where would this repository be located right. just where's the money you know where's they keep it you don't need to <laughs> <Right>. like why <laughs> and i get it they like crafting well, these characters that are like an archetype rather than an actual like three-dimensional character but it's it wears so thin so fast in this particular movie i don't mind it in other ones because it's a little bit more of a quirky character trait but this sort of defines tom hanks's character in this movie and it kind of gets to me well i think the way they wrote the character the way tom hanks like just his like normal the way he performs any character like his acting style and the accent that he's doing and the snaggle tooth that he's like hanging out of his Mm -hmm. lip Mm -hmm. all combine for a character that's like not only hard to understand, like, from, like, a, an English perspective, but, like, difficult to, like, make out what he's saying. Like, he has, like, not one iconic line. Maybe the, like, we must have waffles, waffles. for where everything yeah. stops and he says it, like, at the camera and then he says it again. Yeah. Like, there's n- nothing memorable about literally any one line that he delivers, uh, which is in stark contrast to High or uh, even some of the oh, stuff they put in the last movie. So I, that, that's, I... So that's where it kind of falls... I, I see what you guys when are I, saying with the comparison. I'm just saying, like, this is how it doesn't work. And then, you know what I mean? Exactly. Right. And I think also, you know, it's weirdly believable because of, like, the surreal nature of raising Arizona that he would have this sort of biblical speech because it's also grounded in his, like, you know, we talked about it in that episode, but in his, like, being raised with the Bible for sure, you know, like that kind of thing. And like, yeah, maybe the professor in this movie is very learned, but like nobody talks like that. Like nobody is just like, I don't think it's a matter of like, does it matter that anyone talks like that? It's just like, is it 
entertaining to watch or does it impart anything new in, in like the second hour of the movie it's it's okay. extremely tiresome and it's like you get the point like you know within a few minutes and then it just goes on and on and on like I said, so like the fact that no one talks like that i mean that that i'm 100 percent okay with that it's really just does it add anything to the film <laughs> no right act wears way um, thin way fast and then speaking of I, i'm sorry no go ahead ian i was just gonna say as much as I totally feel exactly the same way, I would still rather having have them, the Coen brothers, write Tom Hanks speaking like this than have them write Marlon Wayans speaking the way that he talks in this movie. Because that feels so like... Um, I mean, he, you know, they wrote the script. I was like desperately Googling to see if like Marlon Wayne got to improvise in this movie a lot right. because I wanted to like see if they were really being that um I don't even know what the word is but it's just like it's not appropriate it's inappropriate for them to write that role like totally that, to be such like a when you, you know, hear I mean, the line about in the, I was go gonna ahead. say when you hear the line you know, he brought his bitch to the Waffle House. It's not funny right. the first time. No. It's not funny the second time. But when no. when you get to like the fourth or fifth time, it it grows on you. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> it gets it starts to get funny yeah. the more he says. <laughs> the way he says "hood" is actually really hilarious. I loved it. I chuckled to myself. He's actually no, one of the probably maybe the best performance in the movie for real. Like I'm being 100 percent serious. It's, Marlon Wayans. Oh yeah, my yeah. God. I agree. Not, well, no, he I, brings I mean, out Wayans' excellence. Not but, Indo Chinese uh, Hitler. He doesn't. <laughs> God, and that's another one. Lot so to work with, yeah. We kind of like there's not a lot to talk about with this movie in terms of plot anyway, because it is like you know, it's based on this 1955. I do think there is, though. I think again, I think there is something to this movie that bears. But anyway, go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was just saying, like, one thing I would like to do because there are only a few characters in the movie is to just go through them, you know, <laughs> because like you brought up the, the you know, Viet Cong, like. Just with no inner life. That's just like complete character. Like straight, yeah, the general uh, who literally like looks like he's straight out of like a Daffy Duck slap the Jap cartoon. Like it's so bad, Mm -hmm. like the way that he's portrayed in this movie. And like equally with Marlon Wayans. And then like, you know, who's just like doing his. Listen, I want to say, Travis, you said best performance in the movie. I will say. I'm a huge Marlon Wayans fan. Like I have like a big like amount of respect for him, especially when he does serious roles. I just watched him in that new uh, Sofia Coppola movie mm. on the rocks. And like, you know, he's, he's very subtle in it. Like he does like know how to just like, it's not great. I mean, it's not a great part, but like, He's charismatic and charming on the screen in that movie. And you're just like, this guy's great. When we rank our but movies then, like, at the end, we have to rank our weigh-ins too. <laughs> I've got some hot takes. <laughs> anyway. Well, but no, but like, you know, he's they, they've cast him like straight out of his bad movies, you know, because he's also made some terrible movies. It's funny you say that. And I say that having not seen a lot of well, them, but like... Yeah. Totally. I thought, like, this character felt almost like they saw him... I don't know if Don't Be a Menace to South Central while drinking your juice in the hood came out before this one, but I think it did. Did they just see that movie go, that's the guy we need to have in this movie? I mean, he dresses the same very much. I mean, even as the long spindly kind of hair, all he needs is, like, a pacifier sticking out of his hair to be, like, that character, you know? 
And Scary Movie had just made, like, the most right. money of any exactly. movie, like, just a couple years before that. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I feel like that was, like, an so influence, So that, that's what he's coming out of for this, for sure. I mean, it's probably right in the same year as also, like, White Chicks. And, like, he's doing all these, you know, Little Man. These are all in that, like, early <laughs> 2000s. Like, terrible. The Renaissance. But then, but then, you know, I actually, not to, like... I mean, whatever. I don't even want to talk about it. But, like, Scary Movie is pretty funny. <laughs> anyway. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, and he's great. Like, I love him when he does it in its, like, on his terms, you know? Like, when it's mm. Don't Be a Menace is a hilarious movie. I haven't watched it in 25 years or whatever, whenever it came out. But when it came out, I watched the shit out of it. I thought it was so funny. Uh And, you know, it just works in that and it just does not work in this. Like, it's so... I mean, even his performance in this doesn't work. And, like, mostly because I'm cringing at the fact that, like, thinking about the Coen brothers, like, putting pen to paper and writing these words so, com- is just Right, like, and, and I'm not going to say it, but uh, th- there's a thing that bugs me in movies when, and this it happens several times in this one, it's when a black person says what's up, my N-word, to a white person mm-hmm. that they don't know very well. I don't mm-hmm. know if you've hung out with very many black people or any of this. That <laughs> literally never happened. Like, like I said, happen. there's a thing called code switching that people do. We don't talk the same way yeah. around our friends to our like our like grandma. You don't talk the way to your wife you do as your boss. So like, there's certain things that people just never say unless you're totally trolling somebody. And he says it like several right. times. It's just random people. And honestly, it just uh, it makes me cringe every time. You know, like that's clearly yeah. written by someone that's just so tone deaf to the way in which exactly. black people interact with the world uh and granted i understand there's a lot of these characters are very sing like one-dimensional and that's like their deal like the dumb guy is always the dumb guy but it still makes me cringe you know you yeah Mm -hmm. absolutely great point and like that's the thing is that this movie never takes the characters and like pushes them to like a point that's like interesting where something comes out of it like you know what's his name obi-wan kenobi from the original version of this movie uh sorry i'm like alligan is like he like starts from an extreme place. Obviously, he's not a character that is ba- like based on any real person, but he sure. takes it to like such a silly, fun place. And then when the moment comes when he reveals that he's like actually insane, and that's why he acts mm-hmm. like that, you're like, holy shit! Like it's uh-huh. such like a fun yeah. surprise and such like a, a a great movie moment. Nothing like that ever happens in this one. Like Tom Hanks has like a moment where he gets a little serious, yeah. and that's basically it. Um, if it like if like you were saying, Chris, like if Marlon Wayans like got pushed to the point where he was like trolling with somebody, you know what I mean, or kind of dropped his like code switching thing and took somebody back, like that could be like an interesting movie moment. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And I think Marlon Wayans yeah. could totally pull that off. And this movie does not even tr- try to do anything like that. Again, it's but well, I, I think like the only moments that they almost get there in this one are when it's like. The two-handed, you know, scenes with Irma P. Hall and Tom Hanks when they're, like, kind of just sitting over tea together kind of thing. Like, they'll have these sort of, like, almost realistic moments, you know, where, like, they're playing their characters and he's still talking in this, you know, Edgar Allan Poe, like, Colonel Sanders mashup. And then she's doing, like, you know, still sort of like this caricature of, like, a black old lady that's not based on any you know, whatever in her life either. But like they do have like a weird connection in those moments that almost works. Like if it was like more of that in the movie, it would have maybe worked better, but I don't know. That's like the fact that like he was able to get this sort of inner life in those moments anyway. Kind where, of. Like you see that like, 
I mean, just like because she like he is listening to her. That's part of like what I was feeling about when I was watching this. Like, you know, they their conversations aren't just him like feeling incredibly more wise than her the way that he does with every other character and that like she brings up something and he's just like oh no I, I love that like this is my favorite thing to talk about and they like have like a back and forth a little bit mm-hmm. and like every other character he's just like this is the stupid explosions expert that's like got irritable irritable balance and it's like i can't even talk about how dumb that shit is where it's just like Mm -hmm. jk simmons was too good in this movie he was like he brought too much like emotion (laughs) to the character it was like very again you can't make a movie this bad without being kind of amazing like i feel like he brought so much realism and like kind of pathetic energy to that character it it was very upsetting to me but it's that same thing that, like, it really starts to wear thin on you when they're, oh, yeah. like, easiest thing in the world. You know, it's just right, like, yeah. oh, I'll do it. You know, it's like, it's that repeating lines thing that they're so good at. But, like, at this point in their career, they've lost it. Like, they've lost their touch to do that. And it's I more do, like you know, the, well, I'm sorry, this movie's also so, like caricaturish where the lines that are repeated are by the same character it's like their catchphrase mm-hmm. it's not like there's mm-hmm. a world where like there's this thing that's said by other people who've never met one another it's just the same guy saying his own right. catchphrase over and over again which is obviously wears really thin really fast we're, we're over it yes. i can see how that would play out in like maybe even like the early 90s when there was a sitcom and everyone had their little catchphrase or <laughs> clearly back in the 50s and stuff that might be even even more in place but but to release a movie in the early 2000s where this is the case uh, like and then there's they know better. There's so much better than this. There's certain little parts about it. That I'm like, how is this a Coen Brothers movie? Like when Marlon is about yeah. to go kill the mm-hmm. old lady, right? And he has this random out of nowhere that's never hinted at before a flashback about her right. reminding him of his mom. They're so the Coens are so normally good at creating a character and having us understand who the character is without a word being said, just by their subtleties. Uh, no Country for Old Men, which we're going to talk about later, is fantastic at so many of these little things, and it's like they just threw this out out of the, out the window for this one like Marlon's all of a sudden like you can't kill the old lady because guess what we're going to throw this little thing and in to explain why it's not just that you know? he can't kill her he's literally like on the ground sucking his thumb being like infantilized like they wouldn't have done I'm sorry they wouldn't have done that to a white character they were like that was so racist of them to like treat it like that you know where it's like uh, it made me so mad This that whole thing they're just better at taking care with their characters than they have shown at all in this movie, it's 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 baffling mm-hmm. that they wrote this that they wrote this movie. You know, uh, I, think I think it's, it's funny because it's this first one in which they both receive directorial credit for. So it's almost like they wanted to spread it out a little bit. You know, like, ah, it wasn't all <laughs> yeah. me. It wasn't all me. I'm yeah, it wasn't all, Ethan back. did it too. <laughs> you know, I don't know. That's funny. I wonder. Yeah. Uh, it, I, it is. It, I do feel like they're at like obviously like a low point in their creative mm-hmm. in their creativity like with this movie. But I would, I think to me that they seem like they've been like in kind of a slump or like another rut post uh, Big Lebowski. Like mm-hmm. basically, mm-hmm. Uh, Oh Brother, where are the man who wasn't there? Even the man who wasn't so... there, but like even the man who wasn't there, it's like I almost feel like it was like an accidental success. You know what I mean? Like it was like it right. feels like it's all. It could have been from like that like kind of up their own ass period, like uh, where they're just like mm-hmm. doing a, a genre movie from an earlier time period and they're just obsessing over all these details and stuff like that. And it just happened to kind of like fit their sensibility so well, fit their right. storytelling style so well that it just worked really well and it, it a lot of depth came out of it. But now I just feel like they're um, 
yeah, just kind of like I also think that know. like that movie lent itself to their collaborators so much better. Like Tebow, I mean, like uh, you know Roger Deakins and um, yes. and Mary Zofries and uh, Carter Burwell all like shine in those movies. Whereas in the last few movies yeah. or the last couple, like they're just anonymous. Well, I have to people. say, the like only- who the hell cares that they're in this? Right. Like, I was just gonna say, looking at the movie, and it took me three days to get through this movie. I'm not joking. I had to break it up into chunks. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I, I normally can get through most films, or I have things come up. This one, I literally had to stop it and, and like come back to it later. But I'd mm-hmm. say the only... Run temples. Yeah, exactly. Drink some water. Uh, the one thing that I actually did like about this movie was the cinematography. I think I like the way it actually looks. Uh, I don't love it, but I, it, it, it was... There's certain shots that make me go, this is Deacon's shot. It's definitely like this. more... Um, it's more unique than uh, intolerable cruelty. Intolerable cruelty, definitely. And I will say, like you know, Travis, you kind of hinted at this, and I and I agree with you. Like, if I have to compare the two movies, like they're both such a like nadir of their career, but like, or at least so far, but um, this one is taking swings. Like this one really feels like at least it's trying for something and failing like you know it almost makes it worse because with the way that it fails is more offensive but you know it's i mean also- tom hanks if he hadn't already done this kind of role in like so many saturday night lives i would think it was like the biggest swing he's ever taken but he has like shown himself to be this kind of a guy that can do this on saturday night live since the 80s you know he's done this kind of thing so but even so like in terms of movies he's not a guy that takes big swings in movies usually like mm-hmm. i mean he definitely right. did it like forrest gump right and, like, i was gonna say whatever. i think he but, does like, and yeah but i mean like even when he's playing like walt disney last year or like mr rogers last year he's kind of playing like Tom Hanks like doing those things. I don't know. He's not like really like inhabiting a character more than he is like just like exuding whatever energy he has. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And in this one, like, and in a few other ones, I mean, he will do it sometimes for sure. Obviously, like Philadelphia, like there was like a period. I'd love to get into Tom Hanks' career. I told you guys like I was excited to talk about him because I think just like the Coen brothers, he is the guy that builds himself from like a certain creative place, whether it's like the eighties, you know, those comedies that he was doing to like the serious dramas he was doing in the nineties to like, you know, the historical epic. And like, he'll do these things until he gets so far up his own ass that he has to like completely reset and do something new again. And like, I always feel like that with him because this era of Tom Hanks was just terrible. <laughs> like, I mean, there might have been some good movies in this 2000s, like 2004 era that I didn't look up the IMDb or anything. But like, you know, he's making like um, Polar Express and like, you know, just these like really bad movies. This one, you know, I and actually, like... Yeah, I actually don't know a lot of Tom Hanks movies. I like, I'm like... Late Robert Zemeckis, like, late Ron Howard, that stuff, like, just never interested me. Like, I've never seen Castaway. I've never seen, like, right. a lot of the big Tom Hanks movies because, like, it just wasn't where I was at, like, as, like, a teen and, like, a young adult, like, uh, when a lot of these movies were coming out. Um, but, I, you know, I think this period is really interesting to look at from a perspective of, Chris, you were talking about the visuals. Um, 
you know, the, the Coen brothers have like a very like stylized, stylistic kind of like visual world they always have. And now with digital effects, that kind of mm-hmm. like the fakeness of the world is like kind of uh, becoming like more and more evident. And they're kind of playing around with yeah. mm-hmm. how fake they can make it and what they can do with that kind of stylization. Mm-hmm. And this feels like I felt like Oh Brother Where Art Thou was kind of like really interesting if like kind of weird sometimes but like uh this one to me i mean it's yeah like you said they're they're going for it but like where they end up is like so like grotesque like that first camera yeah. move down to like the sculpture of just like the ugliest like looks like a peasant face with like a a, right. a sickle or whatever um right. it's like i think it's really interesting because they kind of like um i think we're a big influence on people like um Wes Anderson and even some of like the, the I don't know like the really stylish directors of like the late 90s and stuff that led to The Matrix coming out and The Matrix being like mm-hmm. the most mm. stylized movie kind of of all time and I think I, can see I that. think The Matrix I think all movies like there's like a pre and post Matrix where like every movie if you remember <laughs> like in the early two in the early 2000s every movie was like 99% CG and 99% like right. uh, slow motion and like they were like oh you don't have to just it's not like the 70s where you just take cameras out and you shoot. Like, every single moment is, like, um, pre-planned and kind of shot with, like, machines and stuff like that. And literally, um, mm-hmm. that's how the Coen brothers, I think, had kind of always operated. Mm-hmm. So they're, mm-hmm. like, kind of indulging themselves with, like, okay, let's make, let's do our most stylized, most, like, kind of Wes Anderson vision. And right. what comes out of it is, like, a vision of hell. Like, it's, like, you know. Well, it's also, like, we're in that time period now where, like, you know, it's been, whatever, 17 years since this movie came out. And that's, like, not a good amount of time to look back at, like, the CGI of that time, too. Because uh, what I mean is that, like, you talk about how, like, oh, brother, it's interesting because they're, you know, they're creating this world and it feels sort of... It's mostly not, like, computer... Yes. It's, like, post-production mm-hmm. stuff, mm-hmm. you know, yes. where they're, like, the color grading. coloring and that kind of thing. Um, this one... You know, it's things like they alter the actual river casino to look like they're the casino that they designed. You know, like when it's showing shots of the riverboat uh, that they rob in the movie. I, we haven't really talked about the plot at all, but <laughs> they're robbing this riverboat. And every time it pans to it, there's a real riverboat there, but they've digitally altered it to look yeah. like the Gambit Queen or whatever it's called, you know? And like it does add this level because it's like the CGI of 2004 and like, I don't know, it does add like a level of fakeness to it that doesn't feel. But there's know. older CGI stuff that feels better. And there's, you know what I mean? That's and there's newer saying, stuff like 17 that, that years, don't use CGI. I mean, I always say this, that like 17, like at a certain point, old looks good again like i don't know no, that's no, no, the no. weird thing it's I, I true disagree. no i there are huge periods of time where every, people do bad work because of technology like there's all famously when like sound cameras came into and this is partly like a myth but like you know legendarily like when sound cameras were invented all camera movement and stuff like that mm-hmm. basically halted in in hollywood and like course, the majority yeah. of movies that were being made were super boring looking and yeah. that, that never came back that never you can't look back on that and be like oh now it looks good again like literally te- technological changes impact uh, aesthetic choices in, in bad ways like it's not always right talk about yourself okay 
Ian has left the chat. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think I think it's a myth that like things look bad and then you look back at it and then it looks good. I think sometimes things are just ugly. And this is like I think to this me, this is an ugly movie. And I think you yeah. can like you can you can appreciate the um, the aesthetic choices, the boldness of it, and even mm-hmm. you can even like the look of it. I'm just mm-hmm. saying to me, um, they're what they're kind of commenting on is so like ugly like their view of like the characters is so ugly and that's all kind of um echoed by the uh aesthetic choices that they're making like this world Mm -hmm. that's sort of like either like you're living kind of like a biblical life where you believe in god and like you just don't question anything and you're just kind of this simpleton or you're like a conniving uh criminal with no god and you're like evil and uh you know yeah i don't know Right. I wondered how much thought they'd put into that because, like, you know, I mean, the I whole a lot of thought Ir- Irma Hall's um, character, like, and ends up with all of the money at the end. What's her name? Marva Munson? Munson, something like yeah. That. Exactly. Well, her Jones and, uh, College ends up with all the money. Yeah, exactly. And she donates to, like, Bob Jones College, which is, like, this college that, like, historically didn't allow black people until the seventies. And like, you know, it's like, if that's a commentary that they're making, it's a bad commentary. Like it's really cruel to that kind of character. Like, again, it's like, I don't know why they're like, the thing about the Ealing version, the uh, Alec Guinness movie is that like the little old lady is very much like the Tweety Bird's, nanny like she's like the very sweet little old lady that like you can't like imagine anybody wanting to kill and she's just like this like you know she bothers the cops every once in a while because she's just like always wants everybody to be like doing right but like you know this little old lady like they're cruel to her like why make her this like uh you know black person who doesn't like black people And, like, why make her, like, this, like... I mean, because, like, that's her whole thing, too, is, like, she hates more than anything the other black people in Mississippi. Well, she's conservative. She's conservative. And I think, you know, like, old church ladies, like, uh, getting in the business of, like, young people is, like, a... I think that's that's somewhat of a truism. that's, That's realistic in that way. But, I mean, like, the fact that, like, she's, like, donating all of her money to Bob Jones also. And, like, I don't know. There's just, like a cruelty to the way that like, I don't know. She's not a sweet little old lady for one thing. Like, that is true. In any way. That's certainly true. I think though um, that, I mean, that's a tricky character. Um, I was thinking about this a bit myself because right. There's such a difference between Mrs. Wilberforce, which is a great name, right. <laughs> the original <laughs> yeah. old lady's name and Mrs. Munson. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. I was thinking how sweet and like, just almost aloof this lady is. Like, oh yeah. So mm-hmm. these giant men who look intimidating, come on yeah. in. And you she know? likes and them. She, yeah. Like she's and she so, likes she's them. immediately happy to see them, that they're musicians, that they're coming into her house and it's the more the merrier. Right. And it's like, and, and to a degree, I also, I wouldn't necessarily want to see like an older, like, uh, matronly black woman just blindly aloof because realistically, I mean, uh, I mean, I've, I've known a lot of older black women and they tend to be more, 
uh, like kind of strong willed, very kind of mildly skeptical about certain things, mm-hmm. especially people, strangers in particular. I don't want to generalize, but I think by making her just this aloof, like a little silly white well, lady m- mannerism wouldn't also be doing that particular character justice, but frankly, they don't do well, a lot I of fucking characters justice in this agree. movie, so it wouldn't surprise me. I would 100% me. agree with the idea that, like, if she had been some acquiescing, like, black lady, that would have been just as problematic. But just the, you know, we talked about how bad they are at just even having, like, representation in their movies at mm-hmm. all. This one definitely has a lot of black people in it, but, like... The question is why? Like why why have it be that way like in this? It's not like if if it's serving the story like I, when I say why, I don't, I don't this is a tricky thing to talk about because like we want that. We want them to be like showing all aspects of the world and that kind of thing. But like this movie is so classist. Like the way that like, you know, um the professor who's just as stupid as everybody else and is not like you know, treated, like, with more respect by the Coen brothers is, like, you know, definitely, like, thought of as smart within the confines of the movie. Like, everybody that talks to him is just like, oh, this guy, like, talks my fucking ear off and, like, is very well-read and, like, all this stuff. And then, like, every other character in his eyes and in the viewer's eyes is like, look at this fucking idiot. You know what I mean? Including Marvin Munson. Like, but again, know, we I, 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 like we've talked about this them. before, but it's like, I, I have a hard time separating like classism from like misanthropy in their movies. Cause like classism, like to me requires that you have somebody of like a higher class who's treated with more respect, but that character never shows up in Coen brothers movies. You know what I mean? Like, and there's movies like we just watched intolerable cruelty. I mean, Yes, they, like the characters in general got a little more like dignity out of it, but they were also treated like idiots. Like literally, like the mm. smartest people in the movie were also disgusting, dumb. You know what I mean? Like all kind of like, I don't know. That's I guess yeah, but feeling. I do think it just feels like, it just Tom, to me it just feels different. Maybe punching up versus punching down, and it can leave a worse taste in your mouth when it's like mm-hmm. uh, a movie like this where it's like. Why are you going out of your way to make a movie about like right. poor people and making them look so bad? Like that is totally mm-hmm. a fair thing, but I classist is like uh I don't know if I reached the same conclusion. Well, I mean, I guess only because everybody in it is poor except for you get the feeling that he's at least impersonating a rich person, like Tom Hanks's character. You know, he's going by professor. The old lady has a house. Exactly. I don't know. And like she's all the church ladies poor. seem like yeah, they all dress nice. They all they have I think a giant they're like, home. Uh, you know, it's well kept. She's not portrayed well, as though like, like she's in dire straits or needs get a money. Giant home for like thirty five thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah, I, to me, I felt like they were like middle class. And it's the fact that she would just donate it all anyway instead of like, yes, this is going to change my life. Like, thank God is, you know, she obviously doesn't even need the money, even when she morally uh, accepts that, oh, it's only a penny and barely, you know, few people are actually going to be harmed by this. You know, not only does she not have a not only does she have a portrait of her husband on the wall, she mm-hmm. has a shape shifting portrait of her. So yeah. obviously she has some money. Touche. <laughs> I guess. I guess when I say poor, you're right. They aren't. They aren't playing like. You're being racist. Um, Classic. <laughs> yeah, they aren't playing like. How dare you? Uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> they aren't playing. You know, it's not trying to be the ghetto. You know, like they aren't showing like the poor part of Mississippi for sure. But I just mean the way that they talk about them. It's more like they're talking about like in the same way that Oh Brother, Where Art Thou is for white people. 
it's talking about them as like dumb, like dumber than the New York intellectuals that the Cohen brothers, or not New York, but that the Jewish intellectuals that the Cohen brothers appear to feel like by writing these characters. I don't know. It's like, do you think that characters in like, uh, a serious man are treated with like respect or dignity? Like I do. I really do. Okay. We'll get to that. that, I mean, that's a very different movie. That's a very different movie, but, um, yeah, I don't know if that's a comparable, uh, example necessarily, but we'll we'll get into that one. I'm sure we'll have to hold that, that thought. I'd say like the closest version of like, they talk when they deal with poor people, like next, I mean, we're going to have to get into no country for old men next week, which I'm weirdly nervous about now because I love that movie so much in my mind going into this. I'm like, that's going to be like a contender for top spot, you know? And now as we're going into this, I'm like, I don't know how they're going to do it. Like how how are they going to be good again? They've been so bad. The last two movies, it's hard to imagine them. Like, cause I don't know. It's like, I don't know what they're exploring by making this movie also. Like what movie, you know, Lady Killers, the, the one that we're watching, uh, Lady Killers. Like you know, I will say this: I I can see why the original movie was like appealing to them. I, I honestly think they were like at a creative like dead end, and they you know again mm-hmm. like the last movie was the first script that they'd done that they didn't uh, like you know make up themselves. Um, this movie is the first one that they've done that is a remake, and then the next movie they've done is like I believe their first a like novel. book adaptation. Yeah. Yeah. So so. Like, like directly, right? They've done, like, a lot of, like, cribbing from books and stuff like that. And I actually have a theory. I don't know if I've talked to you guys about this, but that, like, in general, the bootleg version of something is always going to be better than, like, the actual adaptation. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I think that's how creativity works. Like, you get ideas from stuff and you make it kind of your own. And, um just adaptations in general can be, like, really... um Yeah, I Can be, like, a creative, mean. like, dead end. But anyway, the point is... The original Lady Killers has a lot of the kind of Coen Brothers flourishes that I kind of allude to sometimes. And what I mean by that is like the way that they kind of like in the middle of a story, they'll do like kind of unnecessarily dramatic camera like stuff. You know what I mean? Where it's Mm -hmm. sort of like they're taking the piss like out of cinematic language itself. You know what I mean? And just be like, look how crazy we can make it. And like, so (laughs) anyway, so it's. But then I also think. Chris mentioned at the beginning of this episode, and you've brought it up before, Travis, that like their characters in all of their movies do feel like this, as you put it, I'm stealing your words because it really rang true to me. Like they feel like puzzle pieces that they're putting together. And like in those old Ealing movies, especially in that one, they're like, you know, they are like the brute and the, you know, angry guy and like the, you know, the mastermind. Like they are, it is that thing of like, which I also feel is very Coen Brothers. And that movie movie works so well, like from a logic standpoint, like again, mm -hmm. the way the Coen Brothers movies kind of used to work, this movie doesn't work. (laughs) Like the beginning, like they're building their characters so clearly and Mm -hmm. like with so much detail. And then by the time you get to the end, and they can't kill her. You're like, why not? She's annoying. She's like, you know, she's like a brave It also happens hater. late. It like, also happens late them. into this movie. Like <laughs> the original Lady Killers is very short, yeah. and it's very much like, this is what we're doing. We're planning this thing in this um, or this robbery in this old lady's house because she will have no idea because she's a batty old lady. Yeah, and then they carry it out and it's successful, and then easy problem she finds out so easy problem fixed we're gonna kill her but through no act except for you know it's a movie like 
every one of them accidentally dies killing her, basically. And it's like, you know, and that's like the second half of the movie, if not more than that. You know, this one is like the last 20 minutes where they become the lady killers. And it's boom, 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 boom. They all make these stupid decisions. Yeah, it's extremely not It's very It's extremely not amusing and... And I, but I just want to go back to like, you know, why they made it and like what it says. Like, I do think that there was a very purposeful, like, the world of this movie being, um, like set in the South, set with like the super religious kind of, um, you know, cultures of the South, um, that everyone in church is just kind of this like blank eyed kind of like believer who has like just no, has, I don't know, like they don't have the anxiety and of like the people that, don't believe in God and that also are kind of like striving for something more. Like the fact that she gets the money at the end and just wants to give it away to like a, a church mm-hmm. group um, speaks to that too. Like in, in Coen Brothers movies, there's all these, there's these characters that are like filled with anxiety and filled with like um, ambition that they can't realize because of their own personal faults or because of fate. And this movie is like all about that. And, um, and again, they always juxtapose like those kind of striving people with people that are just kind of like satisfied, like in their society, like being a part of like the people, like a community and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So this makes it real. Like it's, it's a very heavy handed version of it, but that's what I think they're kind of doing with that. Um, the fact that everyone in church is just like smiling and kind of like clapping along, like they've been lobotomized. And, and right. then like the beginning of the movie where like that's, they're taking the trash out under the bridge and that song is sing- playing like let's go back to god um mm-hmm. which has this very dark kind of like uh undercurrent because of like right. where the plot is going to take us uh like i said i think there's like they're because of their kind of like godless universe that they kind of like have behind all their movies i think in the last movie they tried to play it up like as fun but in this movie it really comes through as like a there's no god there's no order there's like <laughs> there's no salvation except for like in your mind it was kind of disturbing no you're right know. there's that that nihilism really comes back around in this particular one like yes the heavy-handedness of big lebowski and it's like that's it you know it's that somber there's the cohen brothers you know like it's buried under there somewhere well and i talked about that briefly in our you know the man who wasn't there thing about how like one take for that title even is just that like there's no god there for you you know that like it, you're just, you know, and I feel like they are pretty um, not abstractly in that zone. You know, like they've got this sort of like nihilistic, if not nihilistic, then at least like um, absurdist view of the world. Absurdist is a just good like, word, yeah. Where it's like everything is, you know, what, like everybody's just a tumbleweed rolling around bumping into each other. And like, you know, this has that too for sure, but it doesn't really part of the reason why it doesn't fit for me is because the whole god part of it the gospel part of it i should say Mm -hmm. feels so thirsty for that like oh brother where art thou bump you know in the way that like oh brother where art thou was like given this huge commercial success based on its soundtrack in a way that the movie like that eclipsed the movie itself Mm -hmm. you know yes and like this movie also um music supervised by T-Bone Burnett and they have these like full songs in the center of it or not even in the center of it just just like throughout throughout the movie and like it feels like it's not even like I don't like the songs I love the songs in this movie if they were but they're not used this way they're robbed of their meaning by the movie like literally the movie is like like 
undercutting the message of the songs like through like, Whereas, like it's even in, a, with, in a really dark kind of you know way yeah yeah absolutely and even you who doesn't like oh brother where art thou travis like have admitted that like yeah the soundtrack was like a phenomenon and it's great and no it's i like, like the soundtrack yeah. you know and it's like this one was going for that like it, it's it feels thirsty for it though it's like mm. it doesn't feel like they were making a musical in the way that Oh Brother was like a weird backhanded musical. Yeah. It just feels like, oh, maybe this one will also take over the way that Bluegrass took over in the, or old timey music took over in the 2001. Maybe this will be the gospel year. Yeah. You know I, or I, mean? I also feel like they're kind of getting it. lost in like the details of the story and of the characters and like mm -hmm. the, the movie experience itself kind of suffers for it. I remember mm -hmm. thinking that like, not only did they wait so long to kind of introduce the gang, um, mm -hmm. but also um, in the little vignettes that they show of each character, I oh, don't God. know which character is being introduced. Exactly. Like, there's no, right. like, clear, so, like... Totally, totally. Exactly. You know what? It's so funny you said that because I've been meaning to talk about, like, some of the intros. Uh, when they introduced the general... All this Hodge, I don't know if you know him, he's in The Invisible Man and a couple other great movies. I uh -huh. love this guy. No. He's a great actor. He's one of the two uh, African-American men that, that sticks yeah. up the general's thing. I'm like, awesome, is he going to be in this movie? And it ends up being the right. general. And it's this dumb thing where these two mm -hmm. guys with potentially loaded guns are pointing them at you. And he's like, yeah. oh, I got him by the nose. I'm the general. I'm a badass. Like, no uh, one would do this. You just, yeah. you know, this is terrible. Who are we introducing? And then he comes in later. I'm like, wait, yeah. so that was set to supposed to set this guy up really right yeah, it's yeah, very exactly. confusing yeah. the wife was like yeah kind of more impressive right uh, and then she's not in the movie but and I then he says it like again it. he says it like three times his fingers are up my nose like he oh, says it God, three times that one made me mad that introduction all of the introductions of the characters made me mad except for maybe marlon wayans he was fine but i nobody more so the one of fucking say Garth Pancake. What about uh, Garth yeah, J.K. Simmons. That was the only scene that had like any comic energy. And again, it's like not no. like fun. No. But like just the Promise. back and forth between like no. the asshole director. I don't want to watch no. that movie, but like I have no. to admit that there was a legitimate. It was a dog food commercial. No, I'm saying don't I don't want to watch the movie like of that. Oh. Like with the, all of that comic energy, like mm. I could barely no. take it for those couple. Here's minutes. my note. Here's my note when it got to that part. Don't kill a dog. That's not something you do. No, in they can do it. That was what was good about it. <laughs> no, it <laughs> wasn't. No, I'm not saying I like it. I'm just saying I have to give it up. Like that was like well done. No, it wasn't. <laughs> a little. I was bit, watching it like. Bit. I was watching it thinking like, okay, I get like. In a dark comedy, which is this ostensibly is trying to be like a dark comedy, although it doesn't really feel funny enough to be a dark comedy or no, something. No, I agree. But, um, but like, I get it if like you want to have like show one of the like if the general had killed a dog, that would have worked for me because it's like okay, like the general is this like completely shark like T one thousand killing machine. That, like, you know, has no emotions. Garth Pancake's character, I mean, J.K. Simmons' character, which I just keep saying his name because it's the worst Coen Brothers name yet, Garth Pancake. Uh, he's, like, fucking, until we get to Lump. But um, <laughs> he's he's just, like, a dummy that, like, kills a dog. And, like, for a dummy to kill a dog, it's, like, fuck you guys. Like, don't do that. Yeah, like, right. And then... <laughs> The other note right after that is don't kill a dog and don't hire Greg Grunberg because that guy sucks. I hate that guy. Every time he's on screen. Was he the guy playing I'm the director? Like, 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was like again, like not a likable character, but like at yeah. least he was like a believable asshole. And, and then he like he infused the scene with that energy, and it worked. Uh, it does not work for me at all. I hated it. The whole so movie is much. extremely unfunny, and that was one scene where I was like. I don't I like what with, I'm seeing, but like all I, I watched it with yeah. Angela, my girlfriend, and like the minute that it started, she fell asleep, and I'm just like, please sleep through this movie. Like I don't want <laughs> you to have to watch this. But then she wakes up as like the dog is like heaving breath, and then like he's you know trying to give him CPR unsuccessfully, Ugh. and she's like, what the fuck is going on? I'm all don't just go back to sleep. Just don't worry about it. Like it's so bad. Ugh. Jeez. Better than any Tom Hanks scene. That's all I'm saying. I will disagree because I will talk a little bit more about Tom Hanks if you want, because I do think that, like I said, like he's done this kind of Southern, you know, Colonel Sanders kind of character before on Saturday Night Live. I don't know when. I just know that he must have because it's like an archetype that I feel like he flowed to naturally. But um, the only laugh that I got and it wasn't even a laugh. It was just like funny to watch him try in a weird way was when he dies and he says, Oh, Raven. <laughs> it's like stupid. It's very stupid and not funny, but just like watching Tom Hanks, like try in this movie, that's not working was kind of funny to me for him to like see a Raven and be like, Oh, Raven. Like that was kind of funny. <laughs> just hit me and like had no impact at all. <laughs> After like almost two hours, no. No, no. I agree with you. It was very dumb. No. But I don't know. It was like I, I see what you're saying. I can see that moment being like amusing on some meta level, but oh my god. I mean only his performance because of was who so he was, extremely like... unenjoyable and like Yeah. Uh, yep. It's even oh. more unenjoyable, like as um in contrast of the black people in the movie because to me, anyway, like he represented like a plantation order owner in some weird way. Like he's got that like southern plantation owner vibe to him in that movie, where it's like, why are we pitting this guy up against like a bunch of black people? Well, I think that was I think that was part of the appeal, right? Like I think that was right. sort of like on purpose and kind of like and you know he's this dastardly but guy why? who's like, gonna like why? fail at everything he does even <laughs> though he thinks he's smart he, you know he has like the sort of institutional kind of recognition but he's yeah. not he's like no match for just like a fiery old black lady right. i mean i think that was sort of like the, the what they were going for um you do know, we know if this movie just, was successful do we know if it like people liked it wasn't it, it was it wasn't like we're the only three people that have ever seen this movie <laughs> <laughs> no i mean it you know it definitely like the Coen brothers on this movie in at this time are on fire and they're like, they're not going to make a, uh, you know, unsuccessful movie financially anyway. Um, I guess man who wasn't there wasn't like a crazy big success, but it even that made its money back and stuff. So like, but this one, you know, it has like 50% on Rotten Tomatoes. People still much like intolerable cruelty are dazzled by the Coen brothers enough that like they're saying like, things in the reviews where they're like you know at least it's like um intelligent like that's like the big thing well i think like, it, yeah 
it speaks to like how the dire state of like post nineties right. com- comedy movies exactly. that they're still kind of mm. people are like, it's, it's smart. It's cra- It's weird. Yeah, exactly. like, yeah. It's funny you say that. Least, I had yeah. to actually listen to some re- like review of some YouTube. It was like Mark Kermode and a bunch of other people and this random British mm-hmm. guy. It's all this British uh, panel and they ju- the film had just come out and the guy's like, yeah, I-, I love this movie. It's, it's, it's actually a refreshingly smart twist on this, you know, take of blah, blah, blah. I love this one part. And then I just turned it right off. I was like, that's, that's all. Don't I need to, to hear. people but uh but i <laughs> thought it was funny advice. they considered <laughs> they talk it... weird because they're weird <laughs> but it, but it was interesting i'm like this guy thought this was in, like intelligent but with respect to what you know and i probably should have yeah. like contextualized well, what else was coming out I around like, this time when this movie was out you know I, mean, I couldn't remember you know, i think we're hitting like we're you know in the early days of the sort of what they call the frat pack movies, which are like starts with old school in probably 2001. And then we get all these wedding crashers, like all of those movies, uh, right, right, you right. know, where it's like, those are like the big comedies of this era. Um, anyway, so like, bad. yeah, it's bad. In, <laughs> in, in terms of like, uh, Oh, Hanks, but like Hanks, um, is at the end of this. This is the, like a bad era for him. He's, you know, I I don't think that he's a funny actor. He's a guy who's like. Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Big? A you don't think of, he's funny and big? No. Let me get. Let me let me finish my thought because I think that like, big, is a masterful performance and he's hilarious in it. In that era, he's hilarious. He does like you know Splash is also very funny and like you know even the verbs. like. The Burbs is Joe versus the volcano. And like exactly. Yeah. So he's hitting. He's making these movies that are. That's an underrated movie, but it's another one like that has become almost too un-underrated. Yes, exactly. Too rated. Okay, exactly. So, <laughs> so because it's like it was great as a cult funny movie, but right. then like once everybody's just like, no, that's the best Tom Hanks movie. You're like, mm, no, hold on, okay. <laughs> take a minute, take a minute. But yeah, it is. It is very funny also in parts, but um. But then he starts going too into that comedic persona when he starts making, you know, I don't even know what the right example of the movie that doesn't work in that time period, but they start to not work when he starts to like scream too much in his movies, when he's just like suddenly his character, his comedic persona is just like the like Turner and Hooch maybe, you know, like that thing where it's like, suddenly he's just like the put upon guy. That's just like, Oh, Oh, come on. You know, he's like doing Mm. that thing all the time. And then it stops being funny. And then like when that happens, he becomes like, okay, well then I'm going to make like Philadelphia and saving private Ryan. And like, you know, all these like really opposite of those movies, like just, you know, I guess like the middle ground, which is a great movie, but like transitioned him from those movies to those serious ones was like A League of Their Own, mm-hmm. where he like plays it very serious, but it's like in a sort of bubblegum movie, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And uh, and he has these things. And then like the the serious actor, Tom Hanks, like gets away with from him and he becomes too much like that. And like, that's what you're seeing in this movie where he's like trying to like break free from that but it doesn't work that well and then he has like 10 years where he's just making these shitty movies like now he's kind of good again in a weird way like i kind of um really do like most of what he does like i liked bridge of spies and like you know uh cloud atlas could it just could it just be that he's like that he's just a good actor but is sometimes in bad movies like 
I don't know if I. But s- I don't think he's good when he's bad. That's the that's the difference. Is that like when? <laughs> I mean, that's a very stupid sentence. But like, I really do think that like when he's bad, he's very bad to me. Like when he made that shitty. What was it called? The terminal. The terminal. I'm Victor Navorsky. I'm yes. Tom Hanks. <laughs> that was it's so weird. It's just like in this movie so where it's like, what the, like, this is not funny. It's not good. Like, you're just bad at this point. Like, if he didn't have this pedigree of amazing performances in his past, and, you know, I'm a detractor of Forrest Gump where, like, I will always say it's one of the worst movies ever made. It's terrible. And, like, he's doing that in that movie, too, where it's just, like, he's going so big and over the top and it just does not work at all. Right. Well, I am glad this movie is past us now. <laughs> I'm so stoked Me to too. look at the the next, uh, you know, I call it the next wave of Cohen movies because it totally yeah, pivots it, from it, here. It really is. I think the next one is like a yeah, like I said, I think it's like the beginning of a new phase for them. It is an adaptation of a book, and I think that's sort of like a a restart. Like let's find something that inspires us in like the work mm-hmm. of somebody else. Right. And uh, and it is crazy how many kind of parallels to their like. Um, their other stories are in this adaptation. Um, yeah, and it's like, it's a new style for them, but like, they still kind of like, uh, well, we'll talk about it, I guess, next week. Yeah, I can't wait. I loved it. I mean, I it's been a few years since I've seen it, but it was one of my favorites when I saw it. And I read the book also. I just, I think it's, uh, I can't wait to talk about it. I, I, I just have like a list of things from this movie that I, we didn't get to talk yeah, yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, please do. Well, we, okay, yeah, so the painting of the book. husband. Uh-huh. There's an that is a gag that is taken from an old Sullivan's movie. Travels. What it is from Sullivan's Travels. It's Sullivan's okay. Travels. It's the lady that he crawls out of her window yes, with yes. the with a thing, and her husband's portrait is on the wall, and then it changes to like. Thank a you. I was trying to remember scene. what movie it was. Thank you. Yep. Okay. So, yeah. um, yeah, that I wanted to also mention really quick about this movie while we're just doing notes. Like it was written by the Cohen brothers for Barry Sonnenfeld to direct, who's obviously their old cinematographer and he was going to direct it for a long time until he just like dropped out of it you know probably because because he like saw that it wasn't working you know well it's funny uh, that the visuals have such a Barry Sonnenfeld kind of vibe I was gonna say it would be interesting to see what this would have been if it had been Barry Sonnenfeld (laughs) because like it still probably wouldn't have worked but maybe it would have worked you know in a different way I don't know I'm not I'm not curious about that (laughs) Um, I just want to say one of my wife's like pet peeves is when a movie flashes back to a character's childhood and beyond all reason, the character (laughs) has the same hairdo as a child (laughs) that they have as an adult. That's so funny. Like she can't, she freaks out. She's like, why do they have the same exact hair? Same. (laughs) It's so true. Thank you. It's so funny. So when when he had that same like exact hairdo, it was kind of like, okay, Uh, that's pretty, that's pretty bad. Thank you, Jenny. That's really funny. Yeah. Um, And then, yeah. I'm going to, I know we're, we're kind of past this. Oh, uh, they don't do, again, we don't even have to talk about this, but they don't really do any of their big, you know, again, like last year, last like last week, they don't do any of the parts that they, you know, the roles that they always have, the actors, I should say, that they always use yeah, in yeah. this movie. They don't also do any of the motifs that they usually use. There's no, like, narration. You know, serious. There is a part over. where somebody yells at somebody that they're not a man. That's, yeah, uh, that's the, yeah. Marlon Wayans True. to, uh, uh, what's his name? To JK. JK. And then there's also, 
the old lady tells the sheriff to take an interest in the young boy with the blaster, mm. uh, which was, I think, mm-hmm. a callback to uh, Barton Fink, where he's like, mm-hmm. he's taking an interest. And uh. then he says, Lump, Lump says, thank God we didn't talk about Lump in this episode. <laughs> Lump says, uh, <laughs> I mean, we just breezed right on by. That we made the okay. point that, but, yeah, it's, um, a, it's a problematic um, portrayal. But uh, he says, who's stupid now? Which is a recurring line, now, yes, is, yes. Yeah, they say that right. in five or six movies. Right. Um, and then finally, there's a reference. She says, in the 60s, we had a Jew with a guitar, which I feel like is a reference to like the folk oh, movement, which Lewis. is like a, like, a, yeah. a, like a foreshadowing of Lewin Davis. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Right. It's, they had been working on Lewin Davis by this point, so they're probably Ooh, absolutely Interesting. Right. Um, I know Chris is probably getting ready to wrap up, uh, so I will really quickly say my ranking. I know you don't like this tra- anymore, Travis, but Fargo, Big Lebowski, I'm going to piss you off again. Miller's Crossing's back up at number three, then Raising Arizona, then Blood Simple has moved up this week. Cool. I don't know why. I'm just Maybe it's just because there's no comedy in this movie that I'm like, disrespecting their comedies a little bit more um then the man who wasn't there oh brother where art thou barton fink headsucker proxy intolerable cruelty lady killers yeah i'll just say i'll go next just because my list is exactly the same just put this one at the bottom Mm -hmm. exactly what i was gonna say same exact thing in fact only raising arizona might switch with uh the one above it it's moving up a little bit i just think about it a little bit more it's one of those you know raising arizona so good yeah, it's yeah. I, movies. It's weird, you know. You see a movie and you're like, yeah, and then it just kind of fades over time. Like, uh, you know, re- respect to uh, Chloe Zhao and to Francis McDormand, but Nomadland, loved mm-hmm. it when I saw it. Didn't think about it at all after that. It's movies that just kind of, you know, I don't know. So it's mm-hmm. you know, certain movies come back around, and I think Raising Arizona is in my in my head a little bit more than it used to be. So right on, it's Raising Arizona. Well, I just I just listened to the Miller's Crossing episode of our podcast, and uh, <laughs> yeah, that movie, it's all right. <laughs> It's all right. Oh, he says. Great. I just don't. <laughs> right. I don't know. I just don't get it. I mean, like again, like even like. Agreed. I just yeah. Well, right as long there. as you're on my side, Chris. Right I'm happy, there with yeah. you. It's it's toward the bottom of my list, but you know. Democratically, as a podcast, we are anti Miller's Crossing. That's all I need. I love Miller's just Crossing. I'm just bumping. kidding. Yeah. I'm just gonna keep bumping it up. <laughs> <laughs> you're like adding it to my list somehow. I'm like, how did this happen? Yeah, because at the end, where every movie is going to get a point rating, where it's like number one gets you know seventeen points or whatever. So we'll we'll see what the actual best. Movie when is. our podcast is only released as a spreadsheet, like that's yeah. when we'll be successful. Exactly. Yeah. All right. All right, guys. Good talk. All right, guys. Bad Stoked movie. for next week. Glad this one's behind us. Yes. Oof, can breathe Me again. Too. I mean, there's not really. I don't think a bad movie coming now like hail caesar i've got problems with but like we're through the worst of it now yeah agreed really i think so all right guys cool always a pleasure gentlemen until the next time see you next week see ya bye Bye. thank you for listening to otor detour we'll see you again next week (laughs) 